Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name is Josh Miles. I'm your host, and I'm a brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, we have UI UX designer Randy Fisher, who is creative director and partner at Developer Town, which is a web products and digital products company based here in Indianapolis. So Randy and I talk about what it's like evolving from a design role to more of a management role and how uh, getting away from doing the design is kind of jarring at times. We also talk about why Kevin Costner is full of crap. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Randy Fisher. All right, guys, welcome all the way from my backyard, Indianapolis, Indiana, partner and creative director at Developer Town, Randy Fisher. Now, we've interviewed graphic designers, process designers, architects, illustrators, and so on, but Randy is one of the few pure UI UX guys we've had on the show. So, Randy, welcome to Obsessed with Design. Thank you, Josh. Um, pleasure to be here. Randy, I would love to start with this, and and obviously we've had a chance to uh, collaborate a little bit through Developer Town in the past, but um, I've never had the chance to ask you this question. It's one that we love to start all of our guests off with. So tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you found yourself uh, into the role that you're in today. Sure, I, I'd love to. Um, as as you mentioned, I'm currently the design partner at Developer Town, which is a digital design and development studio in Indianapolis, Indiana. But I haven't been here all my life. I grew up about 25 miles outside of Chicago and ultimately went to Indiana University where I uh, obtained my master's degree in human computer interaction uh, from Indiana University. And I had the pleasure of starting out my, my actual career in my my first job for one of the four founders of the design craft, Don Norman. And I uh, worked for him for about a half a year on a, on a project called Cardian University and learned a lot and was just humbled to even to be in the same room presenting designs and or design feedback um, to him and with him. And uh, I stayed in Chicago after that position for about for about 10 years, the better part of my career you know, learning more about design and, and really learning how the world operates. And then ultimately landed here in developer town as the design partner, uh, building a design component onto the development component that was already in existence here at developer town. And for, I guess, lack of better way of saying it, I am indeed obsessed with design. <laughs> well, then you qualify for the conversation. <laughs> so I think, um, we could get into all kinds of design obsessions, just talking about um, all the things that are happening at Developer Town in the first place. But maybe for our listeners, and I would guess this is probably lots of them who are outside of the Midwest uh, or maybe haven't had the opportunity to check out what you guys are up to. But maybe give our listeners the uh, the Developer Town pitch or kind of the idea of of how Developer Town got started and where the name comes from and all of that. Sure. I would love to. Um, it's a pretty interesting story. It, it, that goes in two year spurts really. 
Um, the first two years of existence, the two managing partners whom I've known for the better part of 11 years now, uh, left their jobs and said, we, we, we want to start a firm that can design and develop software in, a, in an all new, a different way and, and approach it in a completely different way than everything else we're seeing out there. But we're a little bit scared. So we're going to get started just with this development part first. And we're going to figure out the tools, the process, and hire you know, the right people to get this thing off the ground and see how, how it works. And so after two years, you know, I had kept in close touch with them and was watching the success they were having and, and seeing it grow. You know, I, I, I talked to them and I said, so what do you think? I mean, it, it seems like everything I hear, it's growing and, you know, the development component of what you have is, is doing well and people are loving it. But I really think you need to add a design component to what you have now because everything you're, all the products that you're turning out look and feel all about the same. There's no user, custom user experience built into them. You know, they, they sort of feel like the same thing, but a different color. And so they said, yeah, we, we're with you. We're getting that same feedback. And so we, we also believe it's time and we feel like we've got the develop, development part pretty much figured out for now. And so I joined in 2012 and I, and I built a team of, of nine designers. And over that time, you know, I've really grown, really grown the practice and, and, and the responsibilities of the design practice here. Um, when I started, there was no concept of, of user testing or user research whatsoever in, in the process. You know, there was, you know, that we always talked about doing validation, but we never really did it. And now that's a core, if probably the most important part of our design process is creating these, you know, creating prototypes early on and, and going out, getting out of these, this building and talking to people, putting it in the hands of real potential customers to get feedback that then informs both business strategy, you know, and the design and the design components. And so that was the second two years of the existence of Developer Town. And, and I think I went around for a while then telling everybody, we've, we've got it figured out. We have, we have, uh, we can take an idea, we can des design a great user experience, we can build it in a, in a, in a unique and scalable way, and, and then launch this product. And we were doing that. What I realized after that is we're, <laughs> we're still missing the the marketing component so we, we didn't have any users there mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. it's not it's not if you build it they will come they they don't come um you have to <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to go find them right kevin costner has no idea what he's talking about <laughs> i'm glad you got that reference i'm, I'm always hoping not to show <laughs> my age too much but um but we realized that that we needed a we needed a marketing component on on this to to grow an audience even before we had a product. And so we, we tried a couple of different partnerships and some of them worked pretty well and some of them not so well. And ultimately we just said the best way we could do this and serve our, our, our customers would be to build this into our own process so that they're in the room from, from the minute, you know, the, the, the idea walks in the door and we do the same thing with development, which is what I think pretty unique and pretty cool in that, when we start a new product, when we start a new project with a, with a customer, we have a developer, a designer, an engagement manager, and a marketer all in the room at, all the time. I mean, we value the diversity of all the opinions, and I think it makes the solutions we come up with better for it. So that last two years, um, which is, which were 
are tacked on after design were spent building that marketing practice. And we're still sort of learning both um, approaches there and also how to integrate it into everything else we do. But for the most part, it's it's been pretty successful and added some, filled some really nice gaps in what we do. So now I don't know, now I don't know what I don't know. So I'm assuming there's two more years of, of things I don't know about <laughs> that that will rear its head here shortly. Exactly. You guys are going to have to figure out some other business to also get into the, uh, <laughs> so the, um, I mean, the really cool thing is the, I mean, these are steps that, that any business should be including these types of thinking and the fact that you guys have the development, the design and the marketing all under the same roof. And maybe we'll get into the roof element here in a minute, but, um, I think is, is just a, a really interesting approach that, you know, it's not so siloed. It's much more um, holistic way of of bringing a software product or a digital product to market. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's true. And and again, that's experiential learning for us. You know, unfortunately, it took us years and years to figure that out. But but we did a lot of good work along the way, and also made some mistakes along the way. And both of those are are have made us who we are today. Right? They've helped us make the decisions that we've made to to put together the team in the process, you know, that we have now, um, along with following some of the industry leaders, you know, we have informal relationships with IDO and, um, Google ventures. I'm, I'm constantly talking to a few of the, the design partners there and, and also, uh, Jason Freed at Basecamp. I've had a couple conversations with just trying to make sure that I'm out there talking to everybody, seeing what everybody else is doing, learning from, from, from you know what everybody else is experiencing as well, it, it it really helps to to get like I said earlier to get different perspectives. Very cool. Um, you know, in a another universe, in my my last job before starting my agency, I worked at Finish Line, the athletic shoe retailer on the east side of Indianapolis, and uh, Jason and his crew. This was maybe pre Base Camp, but certainly before Base Camp was Base Camp. Um, was was pitching us some some web optimization services. So it was interesting. I got a chance to to meet him really early on, and ended up inviting him back to Indy to judge an AIGA design competition. So little known fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And I guess since he's in Chicago, he's it's you know just a just a short trip down the street to get down here. I. I, I'll tell him that you said uh, he will come and visit me as well. So <laughs> exactly, and he'll say, uh, "Josh, who?" <laughs> and he'll then he'll say to me, "And who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> prank caller, prank caller. <laughs> right, right. Now, some of the things that you were talking about, at least um, uh, making mention of getting the product in the client's hands or the consumer's hands faster, and getting feedback and getting real data you know, kind of indirectly, I guess, referring to agile and or kind of lean methodologies. And I'm always curious to hear a designer's point of view in that kind of world, because, you know, often for me, at least in fairy tale land, we get to go off and figure out all the problems and come back with the final finished solution. And it's just right. And, you know, <laughs> often that is so false, but that that's kind of the way that we're we're brought up and trained in, in how quote unquote design works, uh, in the, in the graphic design field. So talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be a designer in a world where 
that's not how it works. <laughs> in fact, it's lots of iterative, you know, fits and starts and back and forth and refinements. You know, what how, did that take some getting used to for you or was that really natural based on kind of the, the path that you came up? No, it, it, it definitely took some getting used to. Um, and, and I would say to you, you know, that's the way I want it, right? I want my designers to come up with solutions that they think are the right solutions um, and have those grounded in, you know, real research and their own expertise, and, you know, the, and, and every experience they've had over, you know, the rest of, over the, the course of their life. So I want that to be the case. The, the trick there is, is knowing that you're not going to be right and how you deal with it, right? And that's what I think separates a lot of younger people in their career from some of the more senior people. The more senior people actually seek feedback like this and, and would rather know about something that they, you know, didn't foresee earlier on in the process rather than later and, and take that and take that criticism and turn it into um, something healthy, right? Turn it into energy to, to, to iterate the product. And, and I, you can't really teach that. You can talk about it, and, but you, you really have to experience it, right? So mm-hmm. that's how I teach that to some of the younger people is just by letting them sit in on some of these early design meetings, right? And just see, because the first time I, I the first time from, you know, design software, the first time the, the client sees anything, when you go from zero to one, that's without a doubt the lowest, the, the trough of disillusionment, I call it, because, <laughs> because they've always had something in their head, you know, for a very long time. Yet you are working from a completely different set of experiences. So when you put something down, the, the very first time you show that to them, it, it often isn't at all what they were expecting. And so it's how you navigate through that and, 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 and learn what you need to learn and, and stand up when you need to stand up, you know, and, and stand down when you need to stand down. But those are the, that's, those are the lessons I think that, that, that make good software designers great. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Maybe talk to us about what some of those things are that you look for in designers for your team that are things that, that you really feel like you can't teach, or maybe to say that differently, what are those innate or natural skills that you feel like a designer has to have to thrive in, in the environment at developer town? Yeah. One of the, one of the key one of the key qualities I think makes a designer great here at Developer Town is just this idea of being a sponge. So when we take on a new challenge and we're <laughs> and we're like and we're it's one of my favorite words, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Um, when we are dissecting a new problem space, generally speaking, something we don't have a lot of experience in because we don't focus in verticals, uh, we 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 have to learn everything. And the people that are willing to go out there and just research their brains out, for lack of a better way of putting it, are, are, are generally speaking, the ones that are more prepared on my team. And, and, the one, and, and that's one of the qualities, I think, is that, I, that I really like to see is just, their, just that drive to go learn everything you can learn about what you're about to do. It, it, this sort of insatiable hunger to learn about that space and to, to sort of just... Um, start to empathize with the people that are that are in that space or that are that are experiencing the problems we're trying to solve so certainly you know the ability to research and the hunger to to understand 
a, a large unknown space is, is one. And, and the second is, is the ability to empathize with the, the people that are experiencing the problem. That's interesting. I was having a conversation just the other day, just the other day, and someone said to me, there's a lot of constraints here. How would you even go about designing this? And I, and I said, the same way we would go about designing for any problem like this, look at the people using the product, figure out what, what problems or opportunities are there, and then try to solve them. And, and yes, we're going to run into constraints and, and challenges, and we'll have to navigate around them. But it, it's still the same thing. At, at the end of the day, there's a person using it on the other side, and we need to do the best we can to understand what, what it is that they're trying to accomplish and, and what they're trying to do, and then design a solution that, that does that in a simple, elegant, beautiful way. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like the opposite is almost true of the, um, you know, the person who says there's so many constraints, how could we ever figure it out? I feel like the more constraints you have, the, the more freeing it is to know that you're down the right path. And, um, <laughs> I think, I think the terrifying thing is when, when a client says something like, I don't know, just do something awesome. Like that does not, <laughs> that does not help guide the solution at all. Right. Or um, the design review where the client's like, I love every bit of it. Like just, this is perfect. You know, that scares me just like when, when my children are super quiet for a long time, you just know <laughs> something's wrong, right? Exactly. So yeah, I think having those constraints and, and then a word that I use a lot that I, I feel like you're kind of alluding to is just curiosity. So somebody who cares enough about the problem to want to dive in and figure it out and understand all the different angles. And I feel like that, uh, makes a big difference when you come at it with that, with that kind of worldview or personality trait. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Curiosity is sort of that curiosity is that bug that when you catch it, you start researching and, and that takes you in all different places, which again, exposes you to all different perspectives and different angles, which I think gives you a much more well-rounded view of, of what you're trying to figure out. Well, maybe to shift gears a little bit, because I think this is so um, interesting and unique to developer town. Tell our audience a little bit about what the office environment is like and the physical individual offices that you guys have. Sure. It's um, simultaneously one of the greatest attributes about developer town and also one of the worst attributes about developer town. <laughs> <laughs> um, from a, so to be more specific, we hear that we, we work in a, in a giant warehouse and we have some shared spaces, um, you know, a kitchen area and some conference rooms, a design studio, but the rest of the warehouse is full of eight by 10 houses on wheels. And every employee that we hire gets their house, their own house, and they get to pick their, the style of their porch light, the color of their paint, the color of their trim, some of their furniture inside, and, and uh, sort of, as we say, pimp, pimp their own house. And we have some people that go crazy you know, we have pulley systems rigged that, you know, make regular desks and the standing desks and all kinds of contraptions in the, in some houses. And, and then some people just keep it, you know, more simple, but it's a really, it's a really unique environment. And it's actually interestingly caused some unique changes in the evolution of our company, because when you have a house, you can go in and shut the door and, and, and get, you know, get focused on something and you sort of, 
with some of the more introverted people, you sort of lose some of that um, <laughs> day-to-day, face-to-face conversation. Here's a third of your staff you never have seen again. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I forget. I, I believe it's if you're over 25 feet, you're actually remote. And then this makes it substantially worse when you can just close your door, you know, as well all the time. And so what we did early on was we decided, okay, but there's a, there's a, a let's try this. There's an easy solution for this. Whenever a team of people is working on a project together, we push their houses together and form a small cul-de-sac. And inside that cul-de-sac, we put a whiteboard, a table, some furniture, and give them a reason to be outside a little bit. And what generally happens is we have daily stand-up meetings, you know, where we just weigh in on projects, you know, mm-hmm. just a simple 15 minutes, what you did, what you're going to do, and any blockers you have kind of thing. And what generally happens is People in that happens at, you know, arbitrarily at, for a project at 10 a.m. At 11.30, the whole team is still out there talking and, and has, a, you know, covered a whiteboard and, you know, working through a handful of things. So it really does work and, um, and help, help with the, you know, help from creating the silos. But it's a really cool, it's a really cool concept. And I know that when people walk into um, our office for the first time, there's a look that we refer to that's, you can tell when someone's been here for the first time because they just look around like, is there a, you know, a chocolate fountain or, you know, Willy Wonka <laughs> going to come out at some point? And, and it, it's, it's pretty funny. But at the same time, on the flip side, there's it's it's been a challenge from a branding perspective. I know, you know, brand as well as anybody does. And and we often get seen as a co-working space or a, a bunch of freelancers working in their houses, you know, on startups, because in our early days, we worked with a lot of startups. Mm-hmm. And so it's been, a, it's taken a long time to, to sort of remold that, that brand and, and, you know, that brand perception in the marketplace. And I think we're, I would, I would argue that we're, we're only halfway done at this point still, you know, because the truth is everybody in, in the houses in this building are developer town employees, you know, we pay their salaries. We, you know, we match their 401ks, all of that. They are family, you know, and it's like, but that's hard to explain to people the first time they walk in. So like I said, one of our biggest assets has also been one of our biggest challenges. Sure. Have you, um, have you moved away from that model at all or talked about like, okay, maybe our next 10 employees don't get a house or maybe we put them in a bigger house, otherwise known as a room or, you know, have, <laughs> have you explored more traditional office setups or are you continuing to scale out with the houses? We are, it, uh, um, we have a, so we bought, we own this building. We bought the building, you know, uh, when we moved in, uh, when we moved in in year one in, in 2011 and we are just about out of space at this point. And we are, about to bump into exactly what you what you just said. Now, I will say this. Instead of continuing to grow in the Indianapolis market after 10 plus years of doing what we do, you know, we've got some pretty strong opinions about the way things work and and the and some pretty good and a pretty good track record in delivering it. So, we are actually looking at expanding out into uh, some other markets. And so we've been doing some some research and starting to show some presence in some other markets that are similar to what we have in Indianapolis to see if we expand out that way instead of continuing to expand here. The the question is, and I I don't know the answer to, to it is if we were to do that and start an office in another, in another location, would we 
look at buying a warehouse and, and continuing the exact same model or will we explore something more, as you put it, traditional? And, and I don't know the answer to that yet. Hmm. Cool. Well, maybe to uh, switch gears again, tell our listeners a little bit about what what a typical day looks like for you, if that's even a thing. <laughs> and I guess part of what I'm looking for is how you find your role kind of switching throughout the day. So maybe how many hours or days per week you you can actually focus on designing versus being more in meetings or, you know, coaching or guiding other designers or, you know, administrative duties. So what's that kind of look like for you? Sure. I'm not sure there's a typical, but if I were to break it down, it, it it's actually a great conversation. I'm doing professional development activities right now with my team. So it's interesting because I was just thinking about this the other day. When I look at when I look at what I'm doing now, um, I would I would say that 50% of my time is spent grooming my team, helping them through blockers, figuring out you know how to navigate a challenge that's been presented to them. And another 30% of my time is spent then actually in projects. I I don't get to really design anymore. My my partners have told me stop it. Um <laughs> You're the design partner now. You you need to be focused on you know strategic and higher level activities, not not doing the thing that you've loved all your life. And it it's been a change for me, you know. But but I still get to I still get to work on on all on all the projects and as in a strategic capacity, which to me is is still is still fulfilling because that's at the during the design phases, you know. So I'm still heavily involved in when we're running design sprints and you know, our ideation and absorb and, you know, competitive research and all the things that we do, I still get to get heavily involved in those, you know, as in, from a strategic perspective. And then the last 20% is, is just being a partner at a business administrative kind of things, just things that have to be done. And, and so that's, that's kind of what the breakdown looks like. And, and it is definitely, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my team right now about this. It's interesting because once you make that jump, I mean, I used to be incredibly proficient at HTML and CSS, you know, along with the design, with my design skills. And now I, I don't even know, I don't even know what's going on anymore. I'm completely <laughs> useless. I tried to do the most simple thing the other day and I was sitting in my house here at Developer Town, just calling for someone on my team that knows what to do because it's passed me by, you know? And so luckily I have great people that are you know, right on the leading edge of it, but, but I'm not anymore. So it's definitely an interesting switch when you move from sort of doing the work to the business side of it. And, and I love it though, because it's rewarding in different ways. You know, as I've seen my team grow, I'm, I'm actually be involved in projects less and less um, because they're so good at what they do and are, and are growing so fast that there's no need for me to do that. So I find other things to do. You know, I go out and talk to speak at conferences and, you know, find other ways to, you know, to get the good word out. Nice. Well, I think it's a, it's a growing pain for um, designers, especially because you kind of come from this one role of the doing and the making. And if you get really good at doing and making, then they'll let you maybe think a little <laughs> in groups too. And then uh, once you prove that you can 
you can kind of show off those thinking muscles. Then they're like, you know what? Never mind the doing. Like now we now we just want you to think and to guide and coach. And so you get so good at doing this one thing, and then you you earn the chance to stop doing that. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's sort of a weird a weird dynamic that happens. Uh, I think with a lot of creatives. You know, now that you say that, it makes a lot of sense. Like my career over time did follow that pattern and. But you know what's interesting is that I still always find ways to make things. Even I just have to be more creative about mm, it. Before right. it was, it was you know, it was given to me, and now it's like I have to figure it out. You know, we're doing a. We just started a new initiative called the Innovation Series, and we're we're interviewing just just people out there doing innovative things in our space. You know, and and so that's why I was telling you I I, I spoke with you know, briefly with Jason Fried and with Daniel Burke of Google Ventures and uh, Miroslav Aziz from IBM and all the all the great design thinkers and leaders out there. We're, we're trying to get them to come on and just sort of talk about what they do and what challenges they've overcome. So so we can share that out with, you know, with other people. And so it's been a really eye opening experience for me. But at the same time, it's given me a, a chance then to go back and make something again, because, you know, it's 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 not a project we're working on for for a customer but it's it's something that i'm making that is just hopefully to share some goodwill and you know help people do get better at our craft well speaking of making things you guys have had a chance to work with some pretty killer clients from uh republic airways to tyco chicago mercantile exchange um and I guess in your experience and from your point of view in particular, you know, from all the little startups or the the ones that are kind of growing and making it all the way to some of these more enterprise type clients, what do you think are some of the common threads of, of what makes a good client? Of what makes a good client, you know, for, for us. So we know a lot about designing, developing and, and marketing software products. But for us, what makes a really good client is someone that is got that entrepreneurial spirit, but in a in a in an enterprise setting. So they're looking to push the boundaries and do something new, but they know that they know their business very well and they're experts at that, but they know what their limitations are and that they don't exactly know how to launch a new software product. And you know, after having done that for 10 plus years, we you know, we do, and we have, we, we have a opinionated way of, of doing that. And, and so a great client for us is one that knows those boundaries and also works really closely with us. And in many cases, we have our clients come on site and we give them their own house here and we'll push their team up with them. And they actually may come here for anywhere from six months to, we have some that are now going on two years where their team actually working on this very specific new product actually comes here to developer town every day and works directly with our team here. So it gives them a chance to get out of their, their business as usual environment and go do something in a more creative space. And also with, you know, with a different, a new team of people. And so for us, it's, it's, it's just that it's finding someone with that entrepreneurial spirit and then allowing them to take some risks and sort of get outside of their comfort zone, but also pairing that their, their domain expertise with our design and, and development expertise. That for us is like the absolute perfect um, 
situation and and the outcomes we generate in those in those um exam in those situations are are generally you know really positive i guess on the flip side you know we've all hit rough spots or had a project that didn't go well so what are some of the common threads or or maybe red flags that you watch for that that are kind of uh you know from the onset of the project that when you see those the next time you go uh oh this is this is not going to be a good fit for us or this is how we know that this this project is not one we should pursue uh there's a couple different things one is generally speaking the types of projects we work on are are new products right so it's something that that companies are doing that's that's probably slightly uncomfortable for them it can either be something they've done you know, for a very long time in a manual process or in a spreadsheet or, you know, something they've done, but now they're, they're trying to make it digital. And in these cases, if, if they're, if they're unable to take some of the risks necessary, you know, that just because they may be blocked, you know, internally, or it just will be seen, failure will be seen as failure instead of failure will be seen as an early win, you know, that fail fast methodology. If, if, if we can see the signs of that coming fast, that doesn't feel like a good fit for us because we know that doing something new is a risky venture by nature. And for it to succeed, you have to allow it to breathe and take some of these risks. And so mm-hmm. if, if we see that, you know, that, that there people are re- feel restricted or are being restricted or aren't, are unable to take risks or unwilling to take risks because you know, in, in, in their defense, a lot of times their career might be on the line, right? Because traditionally in, in environments in some of the larger corporate environments, sometimes, you know, sp- spending a lot, spending time and money on something that doesn't work is seen as a failure and can really follow you, you know, throughout your career. So, you know, generally speaking, when we, when th- those attitudes, I think are starting to change, but that's something we would look for right away because we know that the nature of what we're trying to do is, 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 you know, risky by nature. And so if, if, if we see any of those warning signs that they're unwilling or, or unable to take those risks, that for us seems like something we should, you know, sort of sit down and say, we need to talk about this because enable in order for this to become a success, we're going to need to figure this out. And so that's probably the main one I would say. So between, um, startups or the more kind of corporate internal, enterprise type projects, or maybe even the more purely consulting base projects, which, which ones do you find yourself, um, enjoying the most to work on? Maybe it's the designer in me, but I, I can't pick, um, the minute I get turned loose on, on a, on a problem or problem space, whether it's an entrepreneur, you know, trying to reach a brand new market or, or a business trying to do something new or purely us coming in and, and, you know, trying to help something that might be off the rails or um, just consult on something. It, the truth is to me, it, it doesn't matter. I'm blind to all of that. I just, I, I just dive into the problem. And I think, <clears throat> I think that's why I love being a designer so much is that whatever I'm, whatever I'm working on today and whatever problem I'm going after, I, <laughs> I go after, you know, with, with tenacity. And so I would have, I would have a real difficult time to pick from those three. Uh, I would just say all of them. 
I find that our designers that we interview are often obsessed, <laughs> which is sort of the point of the name of the show. But yeah. uh, I'm curious, Randy, what you feel like, and it doesn't have to necessarily be work related, but I'm curious what you find that you are most obsessed with right now. If it doesn't have to be work related, then <laughs> then the truth is I'd be, a, I would be lying if I didn't say that I was a, obsessed with mountain biking. I, I needed a, an, a, another creative outlet a while back and, and one that was more active. And so, uh, one of my designers here at, at developer town is in, has been mountain biking for like 20 plus years and was trying to get me to do it. And I loved hiking. I love being out in the woods. I love, I love nature. And so this sort of combined and, oh, and I was also in the process of retiring from skateboarding because falling on concrete hurts too much. (laughs) But it's interesting because both of these, both of these activities, there's scarily a design component in there for me. And that even when I wasn't heavily skateboarding, if I drove by a curb, I would start or any sort of concrete structure. The first thing that went through my head was what could I, what trick could I do on that? Or how could I, how could I turn that into something, you know, that I could, that I could use. And so mountain biking for me is, is now that outlet, um, slightly safer than skateboarding. Although I've had a few, <laughs> a few good wrecks there as well, but, but, um, I'm not afraid to wear the pads, so it's okay. But, but I would say that, but for me, it's still the same thing. I'm always looking at ways of taking creative lines and what different angles to approach different obstacles from. So it's really just problem solving. Only you're going 30 miles an hour down a hill with tree roots and rocks in front of you. What would you say is something that drives you crazy? So I think many of us are kind of blessed or ruined as we see the world as designers, even as you're looking at curbs as a, as a skateboarding (laughs) designer. Um, but what would you say is something that just totally drives you nuts that whether it's a trend or something that's just been common for a long time, what, what's that thing that jumps out at you? Uh, the, I would say easily, and this is something that I've, I, you know, I dealt with early on here at developer town, but it has sort of subsided for, you know, subsided quickly. And that is this perception that designers come in and quote unquote, make things pretty. Like mm-hmm. that's what our job is. It's so much more than that, you know? And, and I think once, once people are exposed to what we really do, and I even, you know, I even have this when we're, when we're talking to a prospective client, even, even then it, the conversations, I think I I've learned to go back and, and, and explain everything that we actually do and not try not to take anything for granted because that perception of design oftentimes is that, yeah, the designer will come in later and just make it all look pretty. And it's, it's just so far from the truth. Um, it, when you look at any great design software product out there, it started with design, right? Well, to go back further, it started with a problem and people, but it started with design, right? And designing a solution to it. it and it wasn't by, you know, choosing the right color palette or creating the right logo. That's all part of it, but it was about understanding people and then designing solutions, you know, for people. And so for me, that's the one thing that drives me absolutely crazy when design is reduced to that, 
they'll make it look pretty kind of attitude when it's so far from the truth of the value we actually add in the process. So maybe your answer to this could uh, even be a, a Don Norman quote, but I'm curious if you have a favorite piece of advice, either that that you've received or uh, your favorite to pass along to the younger designers on your team. Yeah, without a doubt, listen first. I'll never forget when I was I was working for Morningstar uh, in Chicago, the mutual fund rating company, um, doing design there, and. I'll never forget, we, we designed what, and this goes back to something you and I touched on earlier, we designed what we thought was an incredibly elegant solution to a pretty complicated problem. And, and when we presented to the client, you know, there was about a minute or two of dead air. And, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then the client and the client team that we were, that we were doing, it was, a, it, was a, it was a call, just unloaded on us. I mean, we just missed it. We missed, mm. we missed everything. You know, we missed the whole point. And I don't know where it felt. Well, I do now, but I didn't know at the time where it fell through. And I immediately started to get defensive. And, and I looked over at uh, the vice president of, of design at the time of Morningstar. And he just held up his hand to me, you know, like, just sit, be patient. Mm-hmm. He put the phone on mute and he said, everybody just relax and take a breath. Don't, don't let them talk listen and let's find out what they're really trying to say and then he unmuted and then so elegantly over the next 5 to 10 minutes we found out that there were some really important things that somehow just got mistranslated and we missed them but they were actually easy fixes and so we were able to take the learnings from that and go back and and create a solution that they loved but that could have easily gone sideways immediately if if we would have gotten defensive, you know, because we put a lot of work into it as well. We just weren't even working on the right thing. Yeah, it's kind of an enlightening moment when you realize, Yeah, <laughs> man, yeah. if we just listen. So I'm not saying hear what the, I'm saying, listen, but also hear what they're saying, right? There's always a really good point in there somewhere, whether they can articulate it or not, it's in there. And once you once you understand it and if you're slow to the switch, you know, then then. You can get it figured out. You can navigate any situation like that. But again, when you're young, it's, it's hard. You know, it's difficult. You have to practice. That is great advice. Randy, we are coming to the end of the show here. But before I let you go, maybe tell our fans where they could connect with you personally and where they can track down Developer Town on the interwebs. Sure. Um, Developer Town, uh, where I'm the design partner, is at www.developertown.com. There's some there's some cool stuff there, and some good some good stories of of problems we've solved. and And I am at Randy S. Fisher on Twitter. Excellent. Well, Randy, it's been a blast catching up with you. Um, maybe we could do more of that actually in person here sometime around the holidays. I would love it. <laughs> so thanks for being with us, and thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that's episode number 87 in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com and we will have links to everything we talked about today 
including a chance for you to play the episode right there in the browser. So if you've not been to obsessedshow.com, we are now dropping the episodes right there. And of course, if you're listening in the browser, we encourage you to head over to iTunes and hit that subscribe button. And while you're at it, please give us a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Head over to milesherndon.com to see more about what we are up to and how our particular obsessions lead us to design some pretty cool things. If you've got any recommendations of who you'd like to hear us interview next, head over to the Twitter. I'm at Josh Miles and I'm also at Obsessed Show and let us know who you think we should interview next. Our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.